0: Hi, this is Father Scott. I'm the pastor of St. John Vianney Catholic Church in Cleveland, Texas. Our Saturday Vigil Masses are at 5 p.m. and our Sunday Mass is at 9 a.m. On, of course, Sunday morning, we meet at Marty Elementary. Uh, that is an elementary school that is located at 2020 Kilpatrick Street. The Gospel this week was from the Gospel of Mark. And it was uh, chapter 4, verse 26 to 34. And I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to summarize it. It is Jesus giving us a parable about the kingdom of heaven. And Mark will sometimes, as well as other gospelers, kind of bunch these parables together. Um, You know, Mark tended to be more of a reporter and was following Jesus and uh, would write down what he saw, both of Jesus as well as the disciples, and and would tend to do it more in a a linear timeline fashion. But you have to remember, uh, the gospelers and the reporters of that day, timelines really didn't matter all that much. Uh, What they did is they arranged these things to kind of make sense, so to speak, rather than to be on a, quote, proper timeline. These parables are kind of uh, sometimes enigmatic. I mean, they actually, the word derives from that exact thing, a story or a a riddle. And uh, they weren't meant to be riddles, but we have to understand, Jesus is trying to talk about what heaven is like. And honestly, that is something our mortal minds simply are not going to understand. So what Jesus does is he gives examples of the kingdom of heaven. they gives examples, earthly examples, something that, that the people he was speaking to could understand. This time he speaks of the mustard seed, and this is kind of where this sermon came from, because he talks about the mustard seed, this small seed that grows into this large bush, and we do have to start to stop and think about how does that translate into the kingdom of heaven? And honestly, this is where my sermon kind of rotates around is this one part of the reading is the kingdom of heaven being like this mustard seed. All right, well that's a brief explanation of the gospel. Here's the sermon. God bless. Please be seated. Jesus uses the mustard seed as a parable about the Kingdom of Heaven. It seems a bit strange, we have to admit, is Jesus saying that Heaven was planted? Well, of course not, but we may have a view, quite honestly, that is the size of a mustard seed. I don't know if many of us have a a, a grand enough vision of Heaven. Well, let's start with the basics. Where is heaven? Well, everybody will say, it's up above, of course. You know, the Gnostics, uh, heretics in the early church, thought that you needed a special knowledge to get there. Kind of like a road map of how to get to heaven. That if you died without it, then you were hopeless. You would be forever lost in the cosmos trying to find heaven. Is heaven out there, though? Is it something you're going to need a road map for? Like a planet far, far away? Not as far as you might think, is what I believe. Now from the Old Testament, we do know that heaven is a real place. The Old Testament says the firmament of heaven. The firmament denotes it is a real place. It's just not some spiritual place out there somewhere. It is a true and real place. It is a real place that we will go if we live out the Catholic faith that was gifted to us by God so we have to go back so why is Jesus then talking about a mustard seed that grows heaven is there always has been always will be this is not something that was planted at one time heaven as well as God is Is eternal there was no beginning there is no end what I believe Jesus is speaking about is our connection to heaven see we were created by God in his image this means that we are naturally at home with God this is the hardest thing when we think about heaven and we think about being at home with God What do we think about? Well, of course, we think of heaven as being this wonderful place. It's a good place. Well, I might say a good place is on top of a ski hill. Lots of snow, nice and quiet, beauty all around me. Others might look back at me and say, what are you talking about? It's 15 degrees up there. That doesn't sound like a great place. Well, others might say more on the beach. I like that. Well, I might say, well, it's like 101, you got sand all over everything. I, you understand the problem. As we try to use earthly analogies, they all fall short. I'd like to try to explain heaven in a connection that we have with it. The connection we have with being at home, with being in that image of God. And strangely enough I'm going to try to do it first in the negative way meaning I'm going to try to explain a good connection with a negative connection bear with me it will all make sense at the end though when I was in Wichita Falls I had one lady that came to me for help and she needed some money seems to be for some rent I think it was and I gave it to her and she came back and she came back and quite honestly as I got to know this lady I quickly came to realize that she was the victim of domestic abuse. And so, I got her a little more help. I got her a place to stay so she could get out of that abusive situation. And everything seemed well and right. And I thought how great that I actually helped this person out of what was a bad situation into a good situation. Then about a month later, I found out she had gone back to her husband. And I got to say, I was like, what is she doing? Why on earth would you do that? And it bugged me so much that I went to a, a friend of mine that was in the congregation that dealt with social work. And I said, why would they do this? Why would she go back to such a horrible situation? And the social worker said, you know, we get comfortable with our habits, good and bad the social worker says you know I bet you her mother was abused too and I said how did you know that she said because she has grown up with that abusive situation as a normality she to her that is home and it just blew my mind I said you've got to be kidding that awful situation is home for her is a comfort zone So that's why she goes back. It's normal for her. This is how she grew up. This is what she is used to. And therefore, for us, obviously, we look at that and say, you can't be used to that. But for her, she says, yeah, this is normal, everyday life for me. Unbelievable. But think of your worst habits. The ones that always come back through the confessional. The ones that we continue to do. The sin that we do over and over and over again. We're doing that not because we just want to wake up one morning and say, I'm going to sin against God today. That's all there is to it. We do it because it's a comfort zone. We are used to that habit. And we go back and we go back and we go back. These habits usually Put us in bad places. Think about it. Your sins put you in bad places. They do. They don't start out that way usually, but they end up to where we are in this bad place because of something that we did, and what's more is we're offending God. Some of these habits even put us in pain, even in torment, weeping, the whole bit. Matthew 13. Jesus says talking about another place other than heaven just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire So will it be at the close of the age? The son of man will send to his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all Causes of sin and evildoers and throw them into the furnace of fire There men will weep and gnash their teeth So our bad habits sounds like pretty much put us in hell. Now there's a revelation. As we go about these habits that are our comfort zone, and we go from sin to sin to sin, we are pretty much placing us in hell. If this sad revelation is true, and I think it is, is it possible that good habits would put us in heaven? So maybe we should try more to change our bad habits, lifting us out of hell and producing good habits that will further lift us into heaven. You know, I was reading through the commentaries trying to figure out how in the world I was gonna preach on heaven, which is a difficult task at best. And I came over a statement from Tertullian. Now, Tertullian is an interesting theologian in history. Uh, he and Origen kind of share a, a similar thing. They said a lot of good things, but they ended up a heretic. And, and, you know, it's kind of like you have to watch out when you read Tertullian. It's kind of like dealing with nitroglycerin. If you don't deal with it just quite right, it just blows up. So, Tertullian, though, had an idea on four stages of righteousness. And it's really very good. This was before he became a heretic, just just say. He proposed four stages of righteousness. Primitive natural dread, consciousness of the law, righteousness revealed in the gospel, and the mature age of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain one by one. We all come to Christ out of some fear, such as fear of your parents if you didn't get out of bed, get dressed and get in the car and got to church. We All, all of us raised in in. Christian households understand that godly fear. But honestly, all of us do eventually come, whether it's by parents or by some other way. We all come to grips with our mortality. We are afraid of death. We're afraid of the afterlife, of what will become of us. Therefore, we are drawn to God through that fear, taking us to church. Now, this fear as we come to church, results in kind of a sporadic Christian. These are mostly our Christmas and Easter friends that come every couple of, uh, you know, maybe couple of months, but more Christmas and Easter, and they come hoping to say, Lord, I at least gave it a shot. Uh, I came Christmas, I came Easter, I've checked those boxes, everything's good, right? I I wouldn't suggest to practice this, but this is kind of how we come and how we start. The problem is they don't get much out of Christianity because they're not giving it as much of a chance as they need to. The next step, though, is consciousness of the law. As we come to church, we quickly realize that God wants something out of us. He wants our obedience. It's not just now fear bringing us to church. It is this consciousness that God does require something of me. It's not just that I get free reign here on earth that God put me here and I can do whatever I want to and He'll accept me into heaven. No, no. He asks something of us. He wants our obedience. So we begin to live our lives according to God's law. At least as close as we can. Now this step is another awkward one, quite honestly. Because as we try to follow the law, some of it we just don't quite believe in. And this is kind of known as the, as the buffet Catholic. You know, we, we know all that God has put out for us in law, but we say, yeah, I'll take a lot of that, but no, not that. And I'll take that, but not that. It is the idea that God has allowed us somehow to pick and choose which divine law we want to follow. And just as a spoiler alert, he expects us to follow all of those laws. Just going to lay that out. This creates, again, this kind of on-and-off Christian, because when things are going well, they're in church. When things are going poorly, they kind of distance themselves from God, and this is kind of this back and forth and back and forth thing. The next step that we all try to get Christians and Catholics to come through is finding the righteousness of the gospel. Okay, we've been brought to church, usually by fear, We understand the law that God expects our obedience. But now we know the law and we finally see that the law is righteous. That indeed God knows what he's talking about. Sounds silly when I say it, doesn't it? But we all have to come to terms with the fact that yes, God wrote the law and he knew what he was doing. We all accept that. We see it as the best way for our lives. The difference here is not that we don't sin any longer, but it is that we're totally sold on God's Word. Total surrender. This is the beginning of a true, mature Christian. Where we understand God's law, we say it's best for our lives, we do fall. When we do, we come to the confessional, we get rid of it, and we claim, and we say, and well, i just claim, we absolutely proclaim that we will try to do better with God's help. This brings us to the final step, the mature age of the Holy Spirit. Now, honestly, Tertullian went a little overboard on this one, but I'm going to bring it back into the teachings of the church. This is the time where mind and will are one. And let me explain. As we become a mature Christian, we know God's law. We know he expects our obedience. We've bought into it. We say, oh, yes, his law is righteous and right for our lives. But, you know, at that time, our mind still has to tell our will, no. If we see something sinful, a temptation, our will instantly says, absolutely. Our mind says, no, no, no that's god's fourth commandment no i'm stopping it is that mind informing the will well a mature christian aligns his will with god's to where no longer do we even have to think about it we just know that that's wrong we we see a temptation and we instantly say nope i know that's wrong i'm not even having anything to do with it the will Is in line with God's will now I know probably you've guessed this is kind of sainthood this is where all the Saints of the church reside where it is yes are they tempted absolutely but they don't their will is aligned with God it doesn't phase them the Saints all make it look so very easy to live this holy of a life and it's because their will is aligned with God's. It looks easy. But they are still tempted, but they do not have to constantly have to counter their wills with their intellect. This is peace in God. This is also a bit of heaven on earth. And you forgot. You thought that maybe I forgot the heaven thing, but I'm, I told you I'm coming to it heaven on earth, still living in a broken world with pain and temptations, but living at peace with God in their hearts. The seed that Jesus speaks of is of that first turning to Christ, that little bit of fear that brought you to church, whatever that may be. That was the planting of the seed. The branching out, the growing that first blade that springs forth is recognizing God ask for our obedience. As it branches out that is our total give in and buy in to the law. And finally as it becomes a large bush this is the mature Christian. This is what Christ was talking about. Why was he using this kind of parable? Because we can't explain heaven. What is heaven to me is not going to be heaven to you as we know our earthly thoughts. We can't know heaven. It wouldn't be heaven if we could explain it. But what we can say is that peace that we find by being a mature Catholic, that peace gives us the feeling of heaven. We get that foretaste of heaven. That's how we can be there. So what I'm telling you is don't expect me to explain heaven to you to be able to preach it in in clear terms. It's something you're just going to have to see for yourself. But you don't have to wait to death. By living a good Christian life, you can get that glimpse of heaven. And I would highly recommend it to you. Live your life to Christ. Put your will in his hands. Find that peace. And find heaven. Amen.